Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Happy New Year, New Covenant. I am excited for 2024. Hard to believe that it's 2024. And I know many of you don't get to hear the behind the scenes stuff and what God did in 2023, but man, we were blessed. Uh, despite what is going on around us circumstantially, it's awesome to see how God works sovereignly. Um, so we got to see many people come to know Jesus in 2023. Um, as a church body, we were privileged to get to watch people get baptized and step out in faith. Um, in that way, there were many meals and much money and dollars handed out in our community so that we could open up the doors to share the gospel of Jesus. That was exciting. Uh, we had some new men step up in positions of elder and deacon. We've had some awesome men uh, and women stepping up in positions of ministry serving. Uh, and it's just been a blast and a blessing to get to train uh, those men and women as well. So God is doing great things. All that to be said, we don't want to rest on our laurels of 2023. We have to keep pushing forward. And so with 2024 coming up, one of the things that keeps me up at night is how do we move forward as a church body where we keep growing in our love for Jesus and we keep becoming more and more like him? Specifically, Sunday morning, what are we going to go through? And the Lord kept bringing me back to Daniel. Uh, and there's a reason, as you're about to see, there are so many parallels with what happened in Daniel back in 605 BC, with what's happening with us in 2023 and 2024. Um, you're going to see that we really are living in a Babylonian world, and my hope and my prayer for New Covenant is that you don't come to church, you just hear some more pithy sayings or some fun platitudes, but instead we're going to get into the meat of the Word of God. You're going to see how we are supposed to live like a Daniel, and prayerfully we are going to recognize and we're going to wake up as a church, and I'm not talking about just as New Covenant, but the church in America, we're going to wake up to understand that we are not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship. And that is what we are engaged in. We are not on a playground here to have fun. We're on a battleground. Now, in the midst of all that, we're going to have great joy while we do it. I love Sunday mornings. I think it's a blast. I love getting to hang out with you all, drink caffeine, just get wired out in the foyer and talk about Jesus. I love it. I love what happens throughout the week when we get together and we just praise the Lord together and we worship him. I love Sunday mornings when we get to sing together. But all of that is exciting because of who Jesus is. It's not just for a feeling, it's not just so that we can go out and feel better about ourselves, but because of how amazing Jesus is, and when we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we look at how to grow as brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope that you get energized by that, and that you're ready to go out and make a difference in Albuquerque. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about the book of Daniel. We're going to be going through it from now till the end of May. So we got five months going through 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. And my hope and my prayer is that after each week, and especially after the five months are over, we are more in love with Jesus than we've ever been. And we can't wait to be just like Daniel, who gets thrust into a mess and if you want to know what kind of mess Daniel gets thrust into, I'm about to read to you a couple of clips from a guy named Dr. David Jeremiah. He wrote a great book called The Agents of Babylon. 
Before I read from that and I give you a feel for what life was like for Daniel and what life was like in Babylon for he and his three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, let me just spend a moment, let's just pray that the Lord would help us remove distractions, that we just be fully focused on him. So let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this new morning that you have given to us. Thank you for this new year. And while we don't have to wait for a new year uh, to worship you and follow you, we do thank you that you have given us another year of life to bring you glory. And we pray we would do just that, not only this morning, but all the days of our life, that we would bring honor and glory to our King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray together. Amen. The young man, hardly more than a boy, no longer bothered to brush away the flies that buzzed around his face. His tunic of fine linen was now caked with dust and sodden with sweat. He was dead tired, hardly able to lift a foot to take another step, yet he and his companions kept walking as they had every day for the past four weeks, beginning at dawn and not stopping until sunset. His only relief came when it was time to eat the meager ration of dried bread and drink the tepid water his captors provided, but it wasn't long before the hostages were prodded to get moving again herded down the 700-mile road to Babylon. The young man's name? Daniel. He was only about 14 or 15 years old, tall and well-built before the march reduced his muscular limbs to skin and bone. As miserable as the conditions were, he hardly noticed the flies, the bruises, the blistering heat, or even the mind-numbing exhaustion. Those challenges paled next to the horrors he'd witnessed before the march, Images that were now seared into his fevered brain. The pounding of Babylonian battering rams against the walls of Jerusalem. The stream of Babylonian soldiers pouring into the city. The screams of panicked citizens as they raced through the streets. The Babylonians in their chariots striking down men, women, and children. Worst of all, his final glimpse of his parents as they were brutally slaughtered before his eyes. Daniel shuddered as he remembered the sickening feeling that came over him when he awakened in the cart. Everywhere he looked, the streets of Jerusalem were strewn with bloodied bodies. His tears flowed when he recalled the passing of the temple and seeing many enemy soldiers piling the sacred worship utensils on the wagons and being hauled away to Babylon. He remembered his shock as the cart carried him through the eastern gate where he joined the other Jews who had been selected to march to Babylon. He looked around and noticed that all of them were young because those that were old or middle-aged had been slaughtered or left in the city. These images haunted Daniel's mind every waking hour as he made the grueling march and they ravaged his sleep every night until at last one fellow journeyer said, could these be the walls of Babylon? Within hours, they finally passed through the gate of the city. The march came to a halt, and Daniel, more dead than alive, collapsed to the ground unconscious. Daniel awakens in a darkened prison cell crowded with other young men from his hometown, including Hananiah. He looked around and spotted his other missing friends, Mishael and Azariah. His body was raging with a fever, and when he tried to move, he was seized by a searing pain. For the next few days, he wandered in and out of consciousness. And when the pain finally subsided, he became aware enough to realize its source. He groaned with an agony that went even deeper than his physical pain. He and his three friends had been tragically mutilated. He would never be a husband. He would never be a father. Therein starts the life of Daniel. And yet, this young man at about the age of 14 or 15 years old made some of the greatest impacts of anybody that will ever read about it when it comes to making a difference for Yahweh, for the God of the universe, and then really for the coming Christ. So we're going to embark 
on a five-month journey. Are we ready? I'm praying that you are ready to be changed because we are about to take a look at this young man, Daniel, who again has got a lot of parallels between his life and the lives that we are living here. So why the book of Daniel? Well, the first one I already mentioned, just simply the fact that his situation really parallels our own. The second reason is a lot of the prophecies that are in the book of Daniel, and I, I hope you've been paying attention to prophecies that are coming to fruition, but what has been written in Daniel, what has been written in Ezekiel, what was written by guys like Isaiah and then Jeremiah, uh, prophesying that coming 70-year captivity and then the things that are going to happen with the Jews in the future, the 48 weeks that we spent in Revelation, we are seeing so much of God's word. So many of those prophecies come to fruition one by one. Are we going to be raptured out of here in my generation or yours? I don't know, but I am praying that we are. And one thing that I can tell you for sure is that much of what we see prophesied in Scripture is coming to fruition, just even in the days that have come to pass recently. But then here's the third, and I think the biggest reason why we study through the book of Daniel. Even though it was written in 605 B.C. and it ended in about 530 B.C., Daniel's God is our God too. We serve the same God that can do amazing things through people that may look at themselves and go, what are you going to do with me in the mess of this world? Can you imagine how Daniel must have felt? 14 or 15 years old, drugged 700 miles away from his home, completely indoctrinated with all the false religion and and horrid politics that he had to be involved in, in Babylon, and yet he resolved in his heart, no matter what, I'm going to stand for the Lord Jesus. Let me give you a little bit more background, and then we're going to dive into the book of Daniel itself. As I mentioned, it starts in 605 BC, and when Daniel finishes in Daniel chapter 12, it's about 530 BC. Daniel is about 14 or 15 years old in 605 BC when the Babylonians underneath Nebuchadnezzar start their first of three ransackings of Jerusalem, which means that when it ends in 530 BC, about 75 years later, Daniel is about 90 years old. You're going to see that much of what happened to Daniel, like being thrown into the lion's den, was not when he was young. He was an old man when it took place. I want to also identify some of the main players or some of the main true characters, because this is a real historical event that happened back in 605 BC. There's at least three that I want to identify right off the bat, and then we're going to Read the passage at hand. First of all, there's Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians who come marching through Jerusalem. They represent the world that we live in, hostile. Now, they're not just a representation. They were real people. But Babylon is also always representative of evil. The spirit of Babylon lives on today in 2024 right here in New Mexico. Secondly, there's Daniel and his three friends. That's the believers that are living in a very hostile world in a world that does not love Jesus, that does not love his word, and is doing anything it can to remove us from it. But then thirdly, and most importantly, there's the sovereign God Almighty. Even though in the book of Daniel he never speaks, he is working behind the scenes the entire time to make sure that through the life of Daniel and his three buddies, God gets glorified. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that as we take a look at our short lives, our ultimate goal is to see God glorified and lifted up that our king is placed on the throne, and that everyone sees him. That everybody looks at our lives and doesn't see us, but says, man, I see Jesus, and I want to know more about this Jesus that y'all worship. All right, so how do we get to that point? How do we get to a point where we're in the midst of Babylon, we're in a mess, and yet we live a life that completely honors Yahweh, that now honors Christ? 
Well, that's what we're going to find out in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Again, because Jesus is our king, because he is the one that we honor and worship, would you just join me in standing as we read Daniel 1, uh, 1 through 8? Daniel records this for us. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Thank you, gang. You can have a seat. So what we're going to do, going back to the very first verse, is we're going to take a look at what the tactics of the world are. There's five of them that we see just in these eight verses to bring a follower of Christ or a follower of Yahweh down. What is it that the world does in order to bring us down, in order to bring our young people down, in order to keep us from a place of worshiping the Lord Jesus himself? Because don't forget, God has allowed Satan for a period of time to be the power of the prince of the air. He is the one that is influencing many of our political leaders. He's influencing many of the kings, many of the emperors, many of the governors, many of the mayors. He's even trying to influence pastors, churches, and denominations. And we're going to take a look today at how we recognize what those tactics are and then how do we fight against them. Again, I have to remind us and I have to remind myself, my goal is to be more concerned with the souls of people that are going to spend somewhere forever in eternity than I am with keeping people happy. Again, that doesn't mean that we have to be jerks. We're not out looking to start a fight. We're not acting like we know all things or that we know better than everybody else. We just know the one who does know all things and knows better than everybody else. And our job is to introduce those people to the one who has a patent on creation. He knows all things. When we talk about things like, and we're going to take a look at it in the book of Daniel and how their culture really parallels ours, When we talk about the chief of the eunuchs, I hope you all know what that means. That means that young men were literally being castrated. Young men were being turned into women. Does that at all sound like anything we're struggling with today? They had their own practice of abortion. They would take babies many times after they were born by the legs, and they would bash them against a rock. That was their form of killing babies. So is there any parallel between what was going on in Babylon and today? You better believe it. The next time you think that this book doesn't hold any relevance in our lives today, what does it possibly have to say to 2024? I'm going to show you that it has lots and lots to say. 
to what's going on in 2024. The tactics that the Babylonians used to try to seduce Daniel and his three buddies into buying into Babylonian culture and life is the same tactic that the world is using today to not only draw our young people away, to draw us away. Okay, let's get into it. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Here's the first tactic of the world. Let's destroy any Christian heritage. Interestingly enough, I did my bachelor's degree at a school called Christian Heritage underneath a guy named David Jeremiah uh, out in San Diego. And the, the name of the school was there for a reason. One of the, the prime goals of the school was to protect the Christian heritage that some of us had been raised with. The world seeks to destroy that Christian heritage. The verse, verse takes us all the way back to 605 BC where Nebuchadnezzar and his army surround the capital city of Israel and they besiege it. Now we know from history that the king of Babylon had his way with Jerusalem three different times. Once in 605 BC, once in 597 BC, and once in 586 BC. The last time finally completely destroying the temple and destroying the city walls that were in Jerusalem. And really, from that time forward, much of Israel and Jerusalem has fallen into the hands of pagan kings uh, and emperors and rulers. Well, there's a second thing that we see. Not only do they besiege the city, not only do they try to destroy Daniel and his buddy's heritage, the world tries to destroy our heritage. Here's the second thing that it will do. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is another name for Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The second thing the world will do is try to deconstruct our faith. Let's remove anything that would point you back to the God of the universe. I'm going to sound old, but I decided to look into this just for the fun of it. I started looking at history books that my parents and grandparents were studying when they were in school. So going back to the 50s, 40s, and 30s, I started comparing American history books from the 30s, 40s, and 50s to the history book of the 2000s, American history of the 2000s. If you picked up a book from, say, the 30s, 40s, or 50s that had written about American history, then you read about American history in the 2000s, you would almost think you're reading about a whole different country. The Christian heritage has been removed. Any talk of our founding fathers actually worshiping Jesus, which, believe it or not, most of our founding fathers didn't just worship a distant deity, they worshiped Jesus. Our laws were founded upon this book right here. Did you know that our constitution, the constitution that we say we believe in, was actually founded upon this book? The laws that govern most of what happens in our states, although most, much of this is being removed, was founded upon this book by men and women that actually believed that Jesus Christ was God in flesh, the Bible was the word of God, and that's how we were supposed to conduct our lives. That's how our schools were supposed to be founded and run. And then a bunch of people that wrote this thing called the Humanist Manifesto began to have their way with many of our schools. And that's exactly why we see so much of our Christian heritage being besieged, being attacked, being deconstructed. But then move on to verses 3 through 5. It gets worse. 
Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that they drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. After deconstructing our faith, the world seeks to reconstruct our values. I'm just going to replace what you believe with something else. I start off calling this Operation Assimilation. Let's go after the youth. Let's bring them into schools where we deconstruct any idea of God creating like he said he did in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm just going to replace it with the theory of evolution because after all, if you just add enough zeros behind a number, anything could happen, right? Actually, the answer to that is not at all. So step one, they get a scholarship to Babylon University. Now listen, how long were they there? Three years? Does this sound like anything that's happening to our kids today? You move from home, 700 miles across the country, removed from your youth group, removed from your church, and then you're placed in front of somebody that's got PhD in front of their name, so everything they say must be true. And this whole idea of believing that there's a God that spoke the world into existence, that just makes you an idiot. Everybody knows that we just evolved. To which I would say, not everybody knows that. Because if I'm being objective and I'm using my brain, no objective scientist has ever believed that something came from nothing, let alone everything in the universe. Some of the arguments that I have used and discussed with some of our young people as they're going into secular colleges and universities are pretty airtight. It's three simple arguments. You may have heard them before. The first is called the cosmological argument. The second is called the teleological argument. The third is called the moral law argument. All those arguments state is simply this. The cosmological argument says that everything that begins to exist has to have a beginner. Guess what? The universe exists. That means that somebody had to cause it to begin. The teleological argument says not only does stuff exist, but it's so fine-tuned and so well-ordered that whoever made it has to be infinitely intelligent beyond comprehension. Sounds a lot like we're moving towards the God of the Bible. Then you've got the third argument. That's the moral law argument. Did you know that evolution can't answer why we have moral laws? Because in the animal world, animals eat each other. In fact, sometimes one species will even eat its own. If we did that as human beings, somebody's getting locked up. Why? Because we have a moral law that transcends who we are. And we have to understand that apart from somebody that's greater than we are, we don't have a moral law. Think about this. Have you ever had somebody say to you, God can't possibly exist with all the evil in the world? That's an interesting statement. Because how do you even decide what's evil? To you, rape might be wrong and it might be evil, but to this person over here, it's not. To you, murder might be wrong, but to this person, it's not. Now, I'm not playing conspiracy theory, but you all hopefully know by now that there is actually an organization and people group that believe that we need to cut down on the world's population. They think that's right and that's completely okay. 
as followers of Jesus, knowing that people are made in the image of God and have a soul that goes on somewhere forever, and that they're valuable not because of who they are, but because of who their creator is, that tells me that we have a moral law that transcends us. Because if we don't, who are we to say that what Hitler did or Stalin did or this group that thinks that we should uh, start practicing population control is wrong? We no longer have a standard anymore. It's gone apart from a God that transcends us. Step two, after reconstructing their values, was just give them free food from the king's buffet. It's all you can eat anytime you want it. Listen to the parallel. We're going to give you whatever you want, when you want it, as long as it makes you feel good, without consequence. Do any of y'all, I know we shouldn't, we we don't want to admit this because we're followers of Jesus. Do any of y'all watch TV? Come on, how many of you watch the television? Okay, how many of you have certain shows that you like? How many of you have gotten into certain shows and then it gets into like the second or third episode and you're like, okay, here we go again. You can see the world trying to push its agenda. And it usually involves something sexual and sexually heinous. But did you ever notice that there's never a consequence? People just get hot and heavy and engaged in sexual immorality, and there's just never a consequence. That's not the real world, but yet that's what the world tries to offer us. Well, then there's step three, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah get their names changed. And that's another tactic of the world. That's your fourth tactic on your notes. It's in verses 6 and 7. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. The world seeks to undermine our identity. What do you mean by that? What do you mean the world seeks to undermine our identity? Understand that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had their identity wrapped up in their names. Their names spoke to either the circumstance they were born in or the character that they had. See, in ancient times, a lot of times babies wouldn't be named until years after they were born. I don't know what they called them beforehand. Hey, kid. But they got their names later based off what their personalities might have been like, uh, something, that was remind, something that their parents were reminded of when they were born. So start with Daniel. What did Daniel's name mean? Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Well, he gets his name changed by Ashpenaz to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect the king. Bel was one of the chief gods in the Babylonian culture. Now notice they're not forcing him to immediately just change their beliefs. They're just trying to get them to forget it. And then it becomes this assimilation process. Well, you got Hananiah. His name means the Lord is gracious. Hananiah gets his name changed to Shadrach. Which means what? Command of Aku. Aku was the Sumerian sun god. Then you've got Mishael. His name means who is like the Lord or who is like Yahweh or who is like Elohim. His name gets changed to Meshach. Meshach means who is what Aku is. Aku is that Sumerian sun god that we just talked about. And then there's Azariah. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. His name gets changed to Abednego. Abednego means servant of Nebo, another Babylonian god. We're just going to call you something different. 
Now, their names alone tell me that they were probably raised in homes that loved Yahweh, that loved God. They were probably trained in the things of God and of his word. Now, there were a lot of people that probably got changed and became just like the Babylonians, but there were at least four, probably more, that refused to bow their knee, which we're going to see throughout this book. Now, here's the plan. Here's how it happened. It's not in your notes Take it for all your worth, but here's the Babylonian plan to change these young men. There's four operations. The first one I call Operation Isolation. Let's just isolate Daniel and his three buddies and a whole bunch of the other young people away from everything they know. Operation Isolation. Let's get them to believe that nobody believes like they do. Nobody believes in a seven days of creation. Nobody believes in a God that spoke the universe into existence. Nobody believes that Jesus was actually God. Nobody believes that he fulfilled all these prophecies. Nobody believes that he actually rose from the dead because dead people don't get up from the grave. Nobody believes that stuff. Nobody believes that he's actually coming again. And this is what our young people are hearing over and over and over again. Again, I have to reiterate what I love about this book What I love about the Jesus that we serve is that it's not blind faith. The word faith, pistuo in the Greek, means belief to the point of conviction. How do you convict somebody in a court of law? What do you have to have? Evidence. I'm going to say this with confidence, not not out of myself because of the word of God that we have. I'm going to say this with confidence. The evidence, everything in the universe, points to the fact that the God of the Bible is real, that he made himself known as the person of Jesus Christ. He actually historically, literally died on a cross. He rose again from the dead, and he is coming again. We can take confidence in that. That's not hopeful, wishful thinking. That's not mythology. That's grounded in historical fact. I'm getting excited. But that's the God that we serve. Okay, so first of all, they try to isolate and get you to believe that nobody believes that. Secondly, operation indoctrination. Society has duped our kids, duped us, with the belief that we all just came from a lower organism or a lower form. Did you know that you didn't evolve? Did you know that the only way that one species could evolve into another is if new information was being placed into that species? Did you know that scientifically speaking, at a DNA level, we are locked in? The term natural selection... Sounds like an evolutionary term, right? Did you know that nature can only select from the information that's already been placed within that DNA? And we have proof that there is no new information being placed in DNA that enables one species to evolve into an X? Okay, I'm getting geeky again. But that's exciting stuff to me. Because we can take a look at the human being and know exactly how God works and how he made us. Don't let your kids or yourself get indoctrinated with the lies of the world. Don't let them buy the lie that smart people all believe that there is no God, that they're just a cosmic accident. You wonder why we got such a mess today. If you're just a cosmic accident, live it up, man. Seriously, let's be real. If you're just an accident and you're alive today, you're worm food and dust tomorrow, live it up. Make yourself as happy as you possibly can. However, consciousness itself and the fact that you got on this planet tells me that there is something happening behind the scenes that we can't fathom until we get to heaven and we get to be with the Lord. Third thing, operation compromise. 
I'm going to give you free food. I'm going to give you a free sexual fulfillment, whatever it is that you want. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, just compromise a little bit. No big deal. A little experimentation sexually, a little experimentation with some drugs, some alcohol. Is it really that big of a deal? The answer is yes. Because every small decision that we make right now is shaping who we will become or who we are right now. Do you know how you got to the point where you're at right now? And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you are not walking with Jesus. Maybe you are diving headlong into sin. Do you know how you got there? Started with small decisions day by day. Many of you sitting in this room, praise the Lord, are loving Jesus. And you're on fire for him. And you're growing in your walk with him. And you're discipling others. And you're sharing your faith. Do you know how you got there? It was a step-by-step daily decision to say, I'm going to put the Lord Jesus first. I'm going to be in his word. I'm going to be in prayer I'm going to listen to music and watch stuff that actually glorifies and honors the Lord. Well, here's the fourth step, Operation Confusion. Have you noticed that people are confused today? I mean, they are confused about morality. They are confused about what is right and what is wrong. They are confused about who they are and who God made them to be. How do we keep from getting to that point? Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. This is our last verse for the morning. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Fifth point, the world seeks to seduce us into conformity. We have to resolve to live with Christ-like conviction. Daniel and his friends were forced out of their homes They were indoctrinated with Chaldean literature and language. They were given new names. But did you notice they never pushed back until they were told they had to eat the king's food? Has anybody ever thought about that before? Why is that the line? They gave them new names. They castrated them. They drug them away from their homes. They indoctrinated them. And yet they never pushed back until they're told they have to eat the food. Why? Because the eating of the food was the only willful decision that they had to make. The others were forced upon them. We can't help what people are going to call us. We can't help what people are going to say about us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We can't help, we can fight back, but we can't help with some of the things that are going to be enforced upon us when it comes to laws and mandates. But the things that we can control are what we do with our bodies. What do we say? What do we post on Instagram and Facebook? How do we live our lives? Do we speak the gospel into other people's lives even when it might cost us? Listen, we're trying to help the church body get to that point, and there are some ways that we do that. Let me take you, first of all, to how to live like Daniel in a Babylonian world, and then speak to you for just a moment on how we do it. So how do I live like Daniel in a Babylonian world? First of all, as we mentioned, have resolved to live with Christ-like conviction today. How do I get to that point? There's a bunch of these sitting out in the foyer. I would encourage you, please grab them or print them off the website. This is our Bible and book reading plan that we've put together. This is put together strategically and on purpose. It's not dated. So if you're thinking it's January 8th, I'm already a week behind. If you're new to New Covenant in March, just pick it up and start reading. It just starts with week one, day one. It could take you through the Bible in a year. If it takes you two years, fantastic. If you're a slower reader and you want to digest it, that's great. But what's important is how we're going through Scripture. Starts with Genesis 1 and 2. And then the following day, you're going to read John 1 and 2. 
Then you'll come back to Genesis. Here's why it's put together that way. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next day, you're going to read John chapter 1. And how does it start? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Our goal is for you to be able to see Jesus on every single page. That's why this is here. In the right-hand column, you're going to see different books that you're being challenged to read throughout the year. The very first book that we challenge you to read is called Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible by Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Grab that. I know you're going to have to spend like 12 bucks on Amazon. Do you know that's like two Starbucks drinks now? So there you go. Skip, skip Starbucks twice and you got a book in your hands. So have the resolve to live with Christ-like conviction. Part of that is going to be being in the Word. Brian encouraged you, come on Wednesday nights as we start to take a look at different religions. Oh, I know, we're all just supposed to get along. However, do you know the Babylonians worshipped a false god? And Daniel wasn't content with that, so he shared the truth. Listen, gang, we're not trying to start fights or whatever, but I will say this. If you know somebody that worships a counterfeit god, that worships a counterfeit Jesus, that believes in a counterfeit salvation, guess what? they're going to end up in the wrong place. They're going to end up in the wrong destination. So we will attempt to take a look at the God of Mormonism, the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and we will begin to unpack why that's not the true God of the universe and why we want to lead them to the true Jesus, the only Jesus that can save them so they can be in heaven forever. We're out to rescue people, not to fight. I've got numerous different people that I'm set up to meet with in the next couple of weeks that are a part of these false religions. And we sit down and we have fabulous conversation, but I will never look at them and say, let's just agree to disagree. That is absolutely unacceptable. I want them to know that I love you so much that we will not leave here agreeing to disagree. We will leave here disagreeing because you are worshiping and believing in a God that cannot lead you all the way to heaven. Now, one of the ways that we go about reaching the world is the second thing that Daniel did with his buddies. Have the right companions as you engage in this battle. Do you have the right companions? Do you have men? Do you have other men that will stretch you, grow you, push you, and even say things that you just don't want to hear? Ladies, how about you? Those ladies that will stretch you and grow you and maybe even sometimes say things that you don't want to hear. On the flip side, having those people that will love you and walk with you when you're going through hard times together. Do you have the right companions? It's interesting in the book of Daniel... Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah are oftentimes listed right next to him. We see them together a lot. That togetherness when you're in a land like Babylon is incredibly important. And then lastly, have calmness and courage knowing that God is in control of all things. Can I leave you with a word of encouragement this morning? Did you know that God's in control of all things, no matter what happens? Did you know that 2024 is an election year and things might not look good after that? And did you know that God's still in control? Amen? Gang, the way that we are going to move forward is going to be by having the right people in our lives, having calmness and courage, knowing that God is in control and having a Christ-like conviction. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. 
subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.